Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic. With you, as always, is your host, Nate Wyckoff. I am a writer and comedian and film reviewer for HorrorNews.net. And I am excited, excited, excited for this lineup. These are two of my favorite movies. I'm not sure everybody's going to agree, but we will tackle them one by one. It is Baby Blues this week on Cult and Classic Podcast. Uh, with us today, we have a full lineup. We have Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Oh, I'm good. Um, if we're introducing who we are, um, I am absolutely nothing. So we got that going. He's he's literally living my trend, my uh, spectral distancing joke from last week. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if uh, anyone is interested, as always, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast, where you can get videos of each episode. So you can see our lovely faces uh, or Greg's ghostly spectral image. You can also get extra videos and every month we'll send you an autographed custom cult and classic trading card and a zine of your choice. Very inexpensive. Very awesome. Check it out. Uh, We also have Tad Mastroioni. How you doing, Tad? I cast Magic Missile. Uh, wrong, wrong episode. No magic missiles here. Jeff Tucker is with us. How are you doing, Jeff? What's up? My camera. It's shaky. <laughs> I don't know if it was a director's choice or the fact that we're low budget, but it's annoying either way. Well, I can, I can, I can both say that, uh, the director is jittery and, uh, we are low budget. And our final last but not least guest is Amanda Longley. How you doing, Mandy? I am not pregnant today. So that is wonderful. Yay! But you have been <laughs> pregnant, so I'm sure that these, have. these baby blues films uh, really, really brought you back. Oh, yeah. All the oh, feels. All the feels. So uh, for the two films today, we have, as I said, two of my favorites. We have 1974's Larry Cohen feature, It's Alive. And then we have the 2016 Shutter film, Prevenge, written and directed by Alice Lowe. We're going to start with It's Alive. This is a classic classic cult horror film um i mean i think even people who've never seen the film if the plot is ascribed to them which i will do shortly you will probably be like oh yeah i think i've heard of that there was a remake in the mid 2000s uh it or in the last 10 years or so and it got okay reviews but i'm gonna say for me it's the original all the way larry cohen had a really fantastic way of getting the 70s grit of like New York, but also the sort of Mad Men era life in his films with strong, strong, almost over the top, hitting you in the head social satire um, without making a joke about it. Uh, This movie is about a uh, husband and wife who have a six-year-old son or sixth grade son, 
and uh, they're having another baby and they're excited about it, uh, except something is wrong. And it turns out the baby is essentially a mutant monster that kills uh, the resident nurses and doctors during delivery, escapes, and then there's a man or a baby hunt on by the LAPD to find and kill this monster. And the really interesting part about this is that the character uh, of, of the father, who is played by um, excellent character actor, um, if I can always remember, I never forget his name, John P. Ryan. Uh, he plays Frank Davies, and he's does an amazing job of having this sort of inner turmoil because we get the fact that he's like, this isn't my baby. This isn't my baby. This isn't, this isn't even human to sort of having this fatherly fondness come out through the film, even though it is a murderous animal. I mean, it's not an animal, but it's a mutant of some kind. Uh, the other important thing to mention about this is that it's implied that it could be caused by a birth control that uh, this, the mother had been taken for uh, like 13 years, I think they said, and the, the mother's played by Shannon Farrell uh, from uh, Full Moon's Arcade, 1993 by Albert Pion, as well as other uh, many, probably even more well-known films. And this is sort of a reference to, I mean, it's more than sort of a reference. This is, this movie was made in 74. In the 50s and 60s, there was a, uh, a drug that was used to treat nausea in pregnant women called thalidomide, thalidomide, I believe is how they say it. And it, it ended up causing severe birth defects in like thousands and thousands of children. And, uh, and, and later that was conflated with uh, mongoloidism, which is no longer the proper turn and now it's Down syndrome, but there were other birth defects involved. And it was sort of a, a milestone case where uh, drug testing became more, more, more in depth. Uh, and of course we're seeing interesting commentary about uh, testing of drugs with this new coronavirus vaccine, but we're not even going to touch into that. So Larry Cohen took this real life event of birth defects and he upped it to sort of this hyper satirical, violent monster birth level to, to make a point. Now, obviously this rubbed some people uh, who thought that horror should stay out of the realm of reality, definitely the wrong way. Personally, and maybe it's because we're several decades removed. Uh, I think it's pretty effective. We're going to get right into this. Greg, uh, what did you know going in, and what was your take on this film as you were watching it? Um, I mean, I knew nothing going in other than there was a baby somewhere, and, um, you know, that showed up pretty quickly. Um, you know, for a movie that's about a creature basically being born, I, it was really boring. <laughs> I was I was not entertained. Um, I did I did appreciate your point though on I mean the social commentary is interesting in this movie. Um, I thought it was kind of fascinating that while it's hint at, hinted at what um, caused this strange creature to be born, um, I liked it better as we don't really know. It was kind of this horror film of a parent's worst nightmare. You do everything right. The doctor says everything's going good. And then the baby comes out and something's wrong with it. Something is seriously wrong with that baby. And obviously um, a little more realistic would be, you know, health issues or something catastrophic like that. But, you know, I think the metaphor of it's this killer demon creature thing, <laughs> um, you know, isn't lost. But that said, um, yeah, I was, I was bored. I was really bored. Well, it's definitely 
it definitely feels like an older film. Like, yeah. I, like it, it's it's paced, and even the music is is more akin to say like a um, a Perry Mason mystery than it is maybe a contemporary thriller. Um, it, it definitely makes it feel the era, as well as all the smokers jackets and tweet and like tweed. Um, Tad, uh, how did you feel going into this, and what was your take at the end? And you're on mute, my friend. There we go. As if I don't have a plan. So, um, I'm a father of two kids now. Um, the, it does strike home when it comes to the fear of, is there going to be something wrong with the child as in life threatening or life threatening to the mother? Um, this movie threatened my attention span. Um, got to agree. <laughs> now that's not to say that I didn't like this movie. I did actually like it. My issue was pacing. Um, I think a lot of movies that we reviewed have sort of a pacing issue. Um, there were moments where I thought that the movie actually got fairly profound. And it's funny because I, your description of the movie sounds way more exciting than the movie actually is. It's like, it, it almost, when you, when you just step back and look at the premise, it sounds like it's going to be a terrible B movie. That's just going to be ridiculous. It's like, it sounds like a ridiculous trauma film. But this movie actually kind of reminded me of The Exorcist 3 in terms of its pacing, in terms of its character development. Frank's character is really struggling and he's very good at kind of exhibiting that struggle throughout the entire film. The dude's a complete badass. He is prepared utterly to take responsibility for the fact that his child is murderous, killing people, and it, it, he, he basically just emotionally distances himself from it. And it, he's absolutely adamant that he's got to be the one to put it down. And I do love that, sh that slow turn throughout the movie emotionally. And, for, and uh, the actor who plays Frank really does convey that, that, uh, that old school tough guy mentality where they, they really bottle things up, but they break at some point. Like there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of scenes where you sort of almost expect him to fly off the handle and he doesn't. At yes, that time he has control. Yeah, like it's, when he. So there's that scene. This is one of my favorite to jump on here. When um, uh, well, let's listen to this clip really quick. This is this is after um, uh, the mother has given birth and she's, you know, clearly drugged in and probably in, in sort of a daze. I don't know exactly what it feels like, but I can imagine it doesn't feel amazing, especially this pregnancy, which she said is is painful and difficult. Um, she's the only one left uh, alive or at least unharmed when the infant uh, is birthed and escapes. Um, and then she's sedated and, uh, and the husband comes in, Frank, and is sort of, she's, he's calmed her afterward. They've sort of had time to assess what's going on. The, the hospital, the doctor is there who is not a sympathetic character. Um, and then, uh, you've got, I don't know, I don't remember if he's uh, the head of the hospital or the, he's with the police department. I think he might be with the police department of some, in some capacity, but they're talking to him about what the next steps are. And, and here we go. And this is Frank being really controlled, very quiet, but you can tell he's got a lot going on in his head that is not about the two people in front of him. Of course, you realize it's in uh, everyone's interest to uh, keep this quiet for the time being, at least until we can find out what's become of the infant. You have uh, heard a word about it? No. I don't see how it could survive the night without clothing and nourishment. Of course, like any animal, it may yeah, be underground. It's not, it's not an animal, Doctor. You, you know that very well. Oh, whatever it is, 
can't classify it as an animal. It's a human, Doctor. That's what's disgusting to you, isn't it? It kills like an animal. And when we find it, we're going to have to destroy it like one. What's interesting here is this is early in the movie, and and uh, he said, the father says, it's a human. But as quickly things pile, he's driving home, like right after this, his wife's still at the hospital, and they name him and his wife as the parents of this murderous mutant on the radio right away. And that's like the point where all of a sudden it's just piles on and he becomes more distant and like, it's not mine. Like it's, it's, it's a monster. Um, and it, it just, it's not immediate. It is like this pile up, right? Um, his, there's that great scene where he goes, he's called into his boss's office. Like he goes to work and he calls in his assistant and he's like, Hey, do this. Can you move this? And she's like, the boss wants to talk to you though. And he's like, okay. Uh, he doesn't even say, okay. She's like, and this needs to be moved. And she's like, really? He needs to talk to you. And then he goes in and essentially the guy at first, he's like, look, there's no, there's no bad feeling, you know, so-and-so down accounting. He's got a, he says the now outmoded term retarded kid and nobody blames him for it. And he's like, you know, no, that's not the situation. And the fact is he's getting fired because they work for a PR firm and his name is now all over the place. Um, and he does this really nasty mean thing which uh you know larry cohen is not a i don't think he sees the world as a really kind place all the time especially corporate uh and that's very clear in this movie and from that point he's like you got three weeks vacation take them right now take them and as soon as he's out of the room he calls his assistant and, and the boss is like uh have somebody pack up and send his things home he's not coming back <laughs> you know and and he know and surely uh frank davies knows that uh, even though he acts as though he doesn't. You know, he's keeping it as much as he can on the level. Um, this, this is a movie that, um, it, it's very, it was a very weird watch because, and I can see why you like it, because it's a movie that, for such a ridiculous premise, it takes a lot of skill to be able to make a movie that takes itself very seriously while, with such a ridiculous premise. Because Frank, yeah. it's it's almost like a character study of a father who needs to deal with, something like this and and what there's a weird juxtaposition sure they play it very serious right it's i mean super serious. Uh, it, was it all just a metaphor <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing though i do I mean, think babies are little monsters <laughs> um, adorable little monsters and, so sweet. and it's sort of interesting that like uh I almost wonder if, like you said, Greg, and, and Tad both, you mentioned the pacing. It was kind of a slog for you. It really doesn't, it feels like a horror film in uh, effect, but not so much in content, right? It, yes. it really feels like a, a family drama that focuses on this, this father's inability, because he shuts down, right? He doesn't connect with his wife. He, he refuses to let his other kid come home. He refuses to let his friend who's watching the other kid tell him anything about her, let him watch the news. Um, he doesn't, you know, presumably until this thing is caught or killed, really, uh, which is what everybody's planning on doing. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And he doesn't want to return to normal life because he can't return to normal life. Uh, but that's the focus of the movie, right? Like he keeps, he spent the time, it, it almost from the surface, if you look at the scene list, it's like, oh, this happens at the hospital. Um, then the baby gets closer, like it's slowly getting closer to the family, right? Like it seems to be able to track them. And uh, and then it gets to the school 
and they know it's somewhere in the school and Frank gets a call for one of the doctors uh, and he takes the message and so he knows it's at the school. So he goes to the school. He doesn't go to the school to, to find it. He goes to the school to show everyone and tell everyone there that I want this gone just as much as everyone. This isn't my fault. I don't, this isn't my child, essentially. That's really what the focus of the movie is, is Frank trying to prove to everyone that this isn't his and that at the end, he can't do it. And he doesn't want to, right? He flips. Jeff, what was your take going into this movie and after seeing it? Um, well, I mean, I got, I got a lot of comments on this one. Uh, like, but generally, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really like it. Uh, I thought it was, I, I would fall into the boring category, I guess. Uh, I think the thing that really killed it for me is actually in the very, very early scenes, there's like a technical issue where they were doing voiceover work. Uh, and they didn't have the mouths moving. Moving. If you're ever editing, just like show a image of a wall. Just like record an image of a wall. Don't ever have the recording of somebody talking oh, and their geez. mouth not moving. Because I'm done. Films, there are times when you just don't have that oh shit cat in the window shot, and you're like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. Um, <laughs> Go shoot one. You need those stock. There's there's multiple examples of it. Okay. Uh, and it and it killed it for me, um, but I but I think that you you you've drawn into it. It is like a it really is a family drama. It's not even really like a monster flick. Um, it's really about the this dude's kind of like internal struggle, um, and it just is a little boring. Um, and in terms of uh, like a drama, uh, you know, this guy's. You know, will he accept the monster? It's kind of like, it's hard to relate to that. It's kind of like, I understand that, you know, babies are really, you know, like Amanda said, they're all a little bit of a monster. Um, but like, I, I, I they think They would that, kill you if they could. Yeah, Probably. I just I just think that that particular uh, kind of line is just not very relatable. So it's, it's hard for you to like, get to those emotional notes with those particular characters so it just feels like it drags because you're like they're they're doing this whole thing there's not really like a lot of monster like movie stuff driving the thing along it's really just this drama that uh i just i mean maybe it's just me but i just i couldn't really relate to and there there are um, they do use them sparingly and i think we know why um the i actually don't mind the the creature effects there's two types they use there's one where it's a, I don't, and I don't know if it's a little person or an actual child of some kind with like the monster claws in the face. I almost mask. thought it was an adult. Like <laughs> it was like the, the scaling especially, was like, especially was pretty at the significant. end scene or near the end yeah. when they're in the sewers and, and he sort of corners it after it's been wounded. It does look like it might be a small adult or something, but um, yeah. they definitely use a lot of dark, light and dark, you know, harsh light to sort of just show snippets of it. Um, but then there's also a doll of it. Um, the effects, the design is actually quite good in my opinion because it really does play off of the real life effects of of like i said that that 50s and 60s anti-nausea drug um and i'm sure that made people uncomfortable at the time uh but rick baker is responsible for the effects rick baker um having done all the effects for videodrome uh as well as or or being the main one on videodrome as well as so many movies from men in black to hellboy all the way up to uh, maleficent um he's still you know still still going strong uh huge career fantastic um the planet of the apes 
uh, with from uh, um, uh, not the Johnny Depp one, right? Oh wait, not Johnny Depp. Sorry, I'm thinking of Tim mean, Burton. You mean it is Tim Burton's Planet? It's, of yeah. it's it, it. Sorry, those wires cross in my head. Yeah, they are so not the same person. <laughs> no, that filmography though. But it's true. No. No. But yeah, so so it is in there. Um, but yeah, we mostly get the sort of child's play puppet master um, camera through the weeds as it moves, right? Because they mm -hmm. they don't have a huge budget for that. Um, and uh, I think. I actually think this was shot uh, alongside, uh, I think maybe it was Hell Comes to Harlem. Uh, I could be incorrect on that, but another film by Larry Cohen was filmed at the same time. Uh, so there's, you know, they clearly were dividing their energy. Um, although I think this is, this is much more of a, of a well-known film. Uh, and for anyone who's a cult film fan and, and horror fan and doesn't know Larry Cohen, uh, it, really dive in because he did the stuff about the killer ice cream he did q the winged serpent he did uh his most famous film which is um god told me to about uh, a series of of murderers who who essentially are feel they're told to kill by god um so he really likes this sort of uh, to play with things that we in our actual real lives are concerned about and things like additives to our food, things like um, random killings. I mean, who isn't afraid of a random killing in a realistic scenario, especially these days where, you know, we live in the United States, everyone on this panel and uh, hey, everyone's got guns. I mean, there's, there's, there's most people uh, have either guns or know someone who has guns and have access to guns. Uh, so I think that that's really prevalent in this movie. Um, and I wonder too if the pacing is sort of, we spend a lot of time with Frank in silence. Um, he does a lot of pondering and walking and it's very realistic for someone who's got internal strife going on or is depressed or is, is really anxious but has no outlet. Um, this is definitely a, a 60s household style, right? Where the husband does not talk to the wife about stuff like that. They do seem very loving, but especially when this occurs, he pulls into himself. Um, we get that great scene later on where, because we don't really see the infant that much, as you said, Jeff, where the mom has actually been feeding and playing with the baby. The baby's come to the house um, and it plays with toys. Like it, it's weird that they insinuate it's, it, it has these child behaviors, almost pretty advanced for its age, presumably. It's playing with toys that an infant would not usually touch. Um, but at the same time, it's a feral monster, you know? We think, we don't, I mean, it does kill people, but we don't really get much of, of what the actual infant's operations are. And I'll say this right away, there are two sequels to this film, It's Alive 2 and It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive. Uh, if you enjoy this movie, check them out. They actually are a pretty fun time and they, they all deal with this different aspect, uh, different aspects of, of satire. Mandy, finally getting to you uh, as the only mother on the panel, uh, did that change your perception or did it feel <laughs> you, you'd have the same re reaction? Um, I mean, so I went into this, like, um, I think Greg and Jeff said, like, not knowing anything there. I knew there'd be a baby somewhere in there. And um, I don't know, like I said already, like, is it all a metaphor? I thought it was super weird. Like, I guess as a mom being like, they're only looking at this from the father's perspective. I guess this is just a character piece on like the dude. And is he just like really 
um the 70s at, in the 70s right i'm like actually wrote so my only notes that i wrote down on this are why aren't we talking to the mom thanks 1970s sigh and then also that was a super weird movie <laughs> that was all i was just like um I almost wonder, and this is this is it's it's very possible that of course it just doesn't deal with with uh, the mom because, like you mm -hmm. said, oh we're in the seventies and this is you know uh, a, a male centric view. But I thought it was interesting with that in mind that uh, we often cut to her right when there's other conversations going on and there's an entire we. It's almost like we're just intentionally not shown her entire story arc, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it's there. Like for example, yeah. there's a scene it's... in the middle. Yeah. Like, there's little snippets of it. And I think that it would be a, a, actually a pretty, pretty fair um, and interesting depiction of like her probably postpartum depression and feelings, um, mixed feelings of being a mother of someone who's doing things that maybe don't follow her moral code. Um, and she's like, like sort of yeah, still her child. Depression, sort of a mania reaction, right? Like she's clearly aware enough that her baby is killed, um, and she's aware that her husband wants to kill it, or or outwardly appears to want to kill it. He he intellectually wants to kill it, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we get that moment when well, first there's a moment in the middle when. Uh, I think the one doctor, um, but someone from the university uh, as well comes and they want Frank to essentially sign the body over of the infant for study once it's killed. Um, and they want to encourage the police to try and damage the body as little as possible. It's a very uncomfortable conversation because even though we know it's a monster, I found myself, I mean, because we don't see it a lot, it's a baby right? It's still a baby. And we hear it more often than we see it, right? And it has an unearthly quality, but it's also clearly a cry. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, uh, and I, I don't have children, but I have heard baby screams that do not sound like we hear them in the movies. They are really ungodly sometimes. And I'm like, is there a fox in the house? Um, so so that, that rang interesting to me. But um, he's signing this over because it's going to be a lot of money, but also it seems to be another way for him to remove himself further. Like uh, this is a science thing and it's going to be gone. We don't even have to bury a body. Right. Um, and, but while he's talking, the mom hears voices and she comes downstairs in her nightgown and her first reaction is she realizes what they're saying. Cause he says something really nasty about it. Like it's not even, you know, it's, it's not my kid. Like it's not my child. It's not even human or something like that. It's an animal. Like he's flip side on that she starts to cry like instantly she starts to cry and starts to go back up the stairs but then her reaction is to basically wipe her face and come down and ask everyone to stay for dinner right like it's mm -hmm. this and it's this like desperate chance to reach for normalcy and while frank davies character says things that indicate he wants to return to normalcy he clearly is not able to do it he can't fake it like she can and her, hers is clearly faked in my opinion like she even says at one point i'm trying frank i'm really trying and they mm -hmm. just go right over that um so it was interesting to me it, it felt like a disturbingly realistic interpretation of life in this kind of marriage where the fact that we don't see her more of her side of the story is even it speaks even more loudly potentially than if we actually heard it i'm sure it doesn't because if we actually heard it there'd be a whole host of other things um 
but I thought that that was an interesting touch and something that I feel like a lot of other films uh, wouldn't do at this era. I was I was glad that they like picked their story. They did not. I know, like I know other people said that it was very slow, and it was. Um, and again, it was from a different time period uh, where that was maybe a more common thing with the stories. But I was glad that they picked their story because they weren't trying to overachieve in the scope um, of what they were uh, showing us. Um, and as you mentioned, there were there, there were like tiny little glimpses into other characters' um, arcs that were going on in the background. It's interesting because as you say that, scope is something that I think uh, a filmmaker who worked on the cheap like Larry Cohen did uh, is 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 a smart observation because he he asked you have to do a lot with a little right um, mm -hmm. and something he does is the vast majority of scenes are as you said they're very focused it's Frank we see Frank for almost the entire film the very few exceptions are is a scene right before Frank enters the room such as when um, the nurse sent by the doctor to care for uh, the mom is, uh, turns out she's trying to tape record information and sell it as a writer. Uh, and, but he shows up there very quickly. And the other scenes are when it's the baby, uh, obviously just showing us it's alive and then it's killed again or something. And then there's one other scene, which is when we get the most heavy handed commentary, which is, it's basically just blatant exposition, which is where, uh, someone in a pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company is talking to the doctor who says, like, basically tells him, hey, we've got a great position on the board. All you have to do is make sure that there's nothing left for them to study. The, the implication being is that we don't want anyone to know that it's our product that's causing this. Um, and if you think about it, when we get to the end, there's this big moment where, right, the baby, quote unquote, it, it leaps from uh, Frank's arms and kills the doctor before they shoot it. They basically shoot... Or Frank he could threw it at him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really clearly probably threw it at him. But um, but it's sort of like, the interesting part is that you don't know, did the baby actually kill the doctor or did the hail of gunfire from the police uh, kill him? Regardless, the age-old question, really. <laughs> right. Um, they, they go into the police cruiser and I actually really like the touch. I think it's the lieutenant. Um, he's not, like, because it's clear, it, it, Frank kind of, said no don't kill it it's injured it can't hurt anyone and then when he knows mm -hmm. there's no other chance because this one cop especially is like i'm gonna blow your fucking brains out like the, the, i'm sorry this is the la police force like this is not this is this is no longer a satire in this end um, la police force played by la police force <laughs> <laughs> they, they uh they they uh he, he he essentially looks like he throws the infant at the doctor who is we know not a good person um and but then the lieutenant, even this just happening, Frank walks over to his wife, who's very upset, and holds her, which is really the first time we've seen this real close connection between them again since the birth when he's been withdrawn. Um, and the lieutenant, he doesn't say, like, you're under arrest. You know what I mean? He it's none of that. He puts his hand on Frank's shoulder as he's hugging his wife. Like, it was this moment where you get this character that clearly is just a side character but is not oblivious to what just happened. It's, and that's a few times I've seen a satire like this where we are essentially making, we're, we're uh, inflating the ridiculous part of our society, like the police force shooting someone down a hail of bullets uh, with 
um, the main characters who are usually the steady ones, right? They're the sane ones and the world is crazy. Uh, in this case, we have a side character who's actually been like, oh, I understand exactly what's going on. This guy just, ha ha he went through this horrible tragedy, this family, and they're, they're you know, pariahed by the entire, you know, world potentially. And now he's just lost his actual son. And it was this one moment where I was like, that was an interesting touch. Um, it made me think of uh, the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, uh, which is a weird thing I think no one would expect to be brought up. Um, but the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds from 2005 with Dakota Fanning, this movie, and it's a Steven Spielberg directed uh, film, at the end, he's, Tom Cruise is trying to get to his daughter, right? He doesn't even know if his daughter's alive at most of the movie. He's trying, he's running through all these things, trying to get to his daughter. He gets to the house and the door opens and there she is and he stops. It's the most absurd moment I have ever seen in a film because I don't understand how any father would see their child that they've been looking for the whole time and their response would be to stop and not go to them unless there was a bomb strapped to their chest. Like the father's chest, not the child's. Like it just was the most insane thing. And this was the opposite. In this low budget movie with a ridiculous plot, we had this, this uh, overarching humanity come in that I don't see in so many other films that just think of, well, how is this character gonna look in this shot? Like, where's this shot we can pan off of of Tom Cruise with a smoldering background? You know what I mean? It's like, it just ruins the moment. And I didn't feel that. You know, it's funny because it's funny you mentioned that because I was talking at work recently about how I was like, you know, I feel like Steven Spielberg's losing it. I think you just highlighted the point where I, he started losing it. Well, and we could do an entire, maybe we will do an entire episode of Steven Spielberg at some <laughs> point. Um, I think that there's a, a lot, I think Spielberg has, uh, he's clearly a very, very adept storyteller. Um, but I think a lot of the movies that he's done as of late, the, the best films are the ones that have not gotten the credit. For example, like the BFG or um, uh, Bridge of Spies, which essentially was just a little Cold War drama with Tom Hanks that no matter how many times you said Tom Hanks is in it, Steven Spielberg movie, nobody went to see it except for me. And the re <laughs> I literally, I was like alone in the theater on opening weekend. Um, wow. And it's, okay, there were a couple of old people because that's, you know, their movie. Um, but that was a good movie. And then when you see the big budget pictures that have the spectacles and things like War of the World or um, uh, the Ready Player Ones, <sighs> um, they're just not as, en uh, as engaging. People might argue War Horse. I, I didn't watch War Horse. It, the play depressed the hell out of me. Couldn't do it. But the point being is that uh, I think it feels like when he does a big budget movie like War of the Worlds, he knows what people want, and he's like, I'll give it to him. Uh, it feels like ever since AI, artificial intelligence, he's like, people don't, the main, the main bulk of people don't deserve the real movie uh, because they didn't understand AI. So go back and watch AI. When you understand it and you cry for several days, then Christ, come back yeah. and you'll see his better movies mixed in with his big budget ones. But that's super side Are you trying to torture people? I am. That movie I'm is like... You can't actually get through that entire movie. It's fucking terrible. It's so depressing. It's uh, the most depressing movie I ever saw in my life, and it's not even about humans. 
that's that's part of the point. So we anyway, definitely need to do a Spielberg episode, then, guys. We'll do a Spielberg <laughs> maybe. Um, okay, so back back to the point here. The the very tie on end of this movie is that um, the the officer puts you know they they get into the back of the cruiser. He gets in the front of the cruiser. There's already someone in the driver's seat, or no, actually there isn't someone in the driver's seat. Maybe, uh, but he gets a call on the car radio. He puts the the receiver to his ear and he says, "I understand," or something like that, and he hangs it up. And he says, there's been another birth or something along those lines. And there's one born in Seattle. There's one born in Seattle. I think is what he said. Yeah. That's right. And, um, and it's the key that shows, oh, this is the cause of, 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 it's caused by humans. Not these humans, right? Not the parents who are the sufferers, but something else, something like, big corporations and that then is touched on later in the series but i do think that it's what's brought up at the end it says look at this suffering and frustration and then oh by the way here's who did it and then it gives you the credits and i think that the intent was not just to set up you know like sequels uh and say like oh my god like a happening moment where like is it gonna happen again oh it's happening on a bigger scale that's not the point really the point is to say um don't look at this as a single incident because you'll miss the point. And, and that's where the, that's, that solidifies the satire element here, which I think if you're, if you're just looking for a gore flick, which is totally fine, um, you're probably not going to, you're not going to do well with this movie because that's not what it is. Um, there's, there's very little of it actually. There's that weird blood mixing with milk scene, which is disturbing. Uh, when he kills like the milkman, which we don't have anymore. Um, but yeah, so I think that's what I found interesting about the ending here. And here's the other thing that I found interesting. The police are cornering him as he comes out of the sewer with the wounded infant. And he has, and, and he's come out into the LA canals, which is dry. And they're driving like a million miles an hour towards him with their lights flashing and blaring. Who the fuck do they, are they warning? Why are they driving with their lights and blaring and their sirens? They're trying to capture him. They wouldn't. Like, that made no sense to me. That was just one of those moments where I'm like, you just put a couple of people in a cruiser and they're like, fuck it, I'm turning this on. Like that wouldn't, that, it makes a spectacle, but it's kind of a ridiculous moment. Um, and I don't know that I, most people- Do you think that's it. like on the bucket list of like every cop in LA to like drive in the canal, like at least once? It's online after Terminator. watching Terminator 2. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's always been one of my things. I think it's on the uh, bucket list of every film crew to have some excuse right. to go in there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it probably costs more to film in the canals <laughs> than it does in any loft in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. So uh, we're going to move on here. I thought it was really interesting to see the, the mix because this is a, it is a, it is a polarizing film. And I think if you check the aggregate scores, you don't have a lot of, it was okay. You have a lot of, I love this movie and uh, snore. So let's go to this. Jeff, who would you recommend this film to and why? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> That's always a good preface. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, that I don't actually, with both of these movies that we're going to discuss, I don't know why people like these movies. Um, so I'm going to just going to, I'm going to take up, I'm going to punt on this one. Okay. So wow. they, these are just, movies. these movies are not for me. Oh, really? Okay, well, we'll get Just into that. spoiler, yeah. Uh, uh, Tad, who would you recommend this film to and why? So, um, there is a 
you're going to have a very different experience whether you've had children or if you have not. Man, um, <laughs> yes. So, um, which camp should I pick? Honestly, I think you'll enjoy this movie more if you've had kids. Surprisingly, just because this movie is far more psychological than horror. This movie is far more character driven than plot. Forget the plot. Fuck the murderous baby because it actually really doesn't fucking matter. Um, get, get in there to, to get the, the psychological feel of a relationship that is under extreme stress. That's, that's, that, that's who should really watch this movie. Like, you know, bad relationships, good relationships, just have a relationship going to this movie and you might pull something out of it. Interesting take. Greg Johnson, who would you recommend It's Alive 1974 to and why? Um, well, I definitely agree with uh, Tad and Mandy on not having kids definitely skewed how I how I saw this film and so I was mostly bored but um I'm going to I'm going to take the the low road of instead of watching this um I'd say go watch like Mom and Dad or um The Baba Duke um okay. I think those are two films that deal with kind of this horror dynamic related to a parent and their kid, the Babadook is especially close to this, of this kid that's not normal and kind of how you deal with that. And then they throw in a supernatural element to kind of make the, um, the analogy a little less obvious. Um, well, let's yeah. talk, let's, I'll throw this out there as well. First, mom and dad with uh, um, Selma Blair and Nicolas Cage is a super fun time. I reviewed it on hornews.net. Go check out my review if you want to know more about that. Uh, go see the movie, support the movie, because Nick Cage would love to do a sequel. And in my opinion, it screams for a sequel. Uh, Nick Cage, friend of the pod. So also, <laughs> uh, if anyone isn't aware of this, I know we have uh, our probably more than our fresh share, and I'm super proud of it, uh, LGBTQIA plus uh, listeners, The Babadook. And as a straight white man, I didn't know this at first. The Babadook has sort of been taken as this awesome Halloween era gay icon. Uh, and there's all these fantastic memes, t-shirts, everything. It's like Babadook, Babashook. Like you just <laughs> Google it. You'll be super happy. It makes you happy. But that's a great recommendation. Um, Mandy, who would you recommend It's Alive 1974 to and why? Oh, I mean, I... Honestly, I feel like this is one that's like worth skipping. I'm super glad that Greg had recommendations for people of what to see otherwise. <laughs> it's a fantastic time capsule of the 1970s. Uh, people smoking in the hospital waiting in room. the hospital, like at the nurses' the... counter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, I, like I even just like the discomfort uh, and horror that I felt it in the delivery room scene of the, the doctor using forceps, like talking to her about using yeah. and there's like, wow, like way, the that was real. Is, is uncomfortable mm -hmm. and medical and is like, I mean, he's like, yeah. it's got a real big head, but she has big hips. You're like, Jesus, mm -hmm. like, oh, like, oh my off, gosh. How visceral, second, how, what terrible bedside manner. Yeah, like it, it was just, um, so I guess like, I don't know, I, I think I've mentioned this on other movies we reviewed, like, just, yeah. <laughs> um, just for like the time capsule of like looking at something like from that time period is this felt very true to the 1970s uh kind of fun in that aspect i actually really like the campiness of the monster and like the shaking bushes like outside the hospital when it first escapes and um like the short little scenes of its 
um, attacks at people like throughout the movie. I thought, I thought that was actually fun. I was kind of laughing through a lot of them, although I'm not sure that it was supposed to be funny. Uh, but yeah, very, um, yeah, I don't know. Just, just a weird one. Uh, and and you'll definitely, yeah, it's definitely, obviously it's weird. We're doing it on Colton Classic, but like, uh, <laughs> it's a weird one. Um, and I think, you know, as Tad pointed out, like, uh, if you are a parent, like, you might get more of the psychological aspects of it um, as well. Okay, so my recommendation, first off, if anyone has seen other Larry Cohen movies and liked them, watch It's Alive. I think it's it's trademark for him, um, the satire, along with the uh, pretty solid directing, uh, especially in low light scenes, which he has a lot of. Uh, it, there's not a lot of mistakes. Um, in fact, I, I didn't really point out, I'm sure there are some that could have been improved uh, given more time and budget, but I think that they all worked fairly well. Uh, for me, it, even if you're not so much a fan of the idea or pacing of this movie, I think the acting from John P. Ryan as Frank Davies, the dad, and of Sharon Farrell as, uh, as Lenore Davies, the mom, I think it's really fantastic, especially John Ryan. I mean, this to me is his, he's done other great work, um, but this was the role that gave him the most. I mean, he has to own every scene because most of it is looking and saying just one or two staccato words, often very quietly. Um, it also scared my cats because the dialogue was fairly quiet, but the tension stings and the screams uh, and the baby screeching was fairly loud. So every every you know twenty minutes when the baby would have a few minutes, we would get this you know all the cats like jerking their heads up. So that's fun. All right, that is it for It's Alive 1974. Next, we're going up to 2016's movie Prevenge. So Prevenge from 2016, uh, distributed by Shutter, the streaming channel and distribution service. It stars uh, Alice Lowe, as I said, also written by Alice Lowe. Here's the, something really interesting about this. Um, Alice Lowe- Directed by Alice Lowe. Did I say it? Directed and written by Alice Lowe. Uh, and she, stars. Huh? And stars. And oh yeah, stars. he said all oh, that. And she, yeah, and she stars in it, correct. She's so, amazing. She is amazing. I'm so, in awe. I'm in absolute <laughs> awe. Well, it makes, to me, it makes it even more in awe. Um, this is, those of you who like sort of British action, weird comedies that come through to the U.S. may recognize her. She played Tina in Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg. Um, this movie, so it's about a pregnant woman, Ruth, who has lost her husband in an accident. There's a little bit of minor spoilers here. Um, it does not ruin the film, but if you think that this might be up your alley, just stop now and go watch it and listen to us. I'm gonna say that right now. Um, so she's lost her husband, she's on her own, she's pregnant, and she hears the voice of her unborn child who is encouraging her to kill specific people. And these specific people, spoiler alert, uh, are the ones who were with her husband when uh, he they had their accident and he essentially had to be cut loose from a climbing rope uh, to save the rest of them. And then he died smashing his head on some rocks on a, a bluff somewhere. Uh, so it is a bleak comedy. It is definitely, in my opinion, has some strong laughs in there, but it's very British. Um, the coolest part to me about this is that Alice, uh, she not only 
wrote, star, and directed in this, but she got the idea when she was trying to get roles, and as a pregnant woman, no one would cast her. So she was like, screw it, wrote the script in about three days, and the whole thing was filmed in 11 days. It was like seven days of or eight days of principal filming and a few days of pickup shots. That is shockingly efficient because this film does not look particularly. That was budget. some fucking nesting right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is hilarious, and I'm sure true. Um, so I don't even. So this this film, when I first saw this film, uh, I actually saw it as a as a I reviewed it for HorrorNews.net. And I was kind of blown away because I really didn't know what to expect because much like it's alive, the plot sounds ridiculous. Um, it sounded funny and it's called Prevenge, which is hilarious. Can I just say how much I love this title? Uh, right? It like, is, it, it so it's like everything. Not, it's like, but it's like, it's like revenge with more P because she's pregnant, but also like pregnant revenge, but also like pre-revenge because it's like the baby. And then like... <laughs> Also, like, can, you know, be, like, uh, was it 10 Things I Hate About You? Can you just venge? Apparently you can. Venge is a real world. It's in the Scrabble Dictionary. It actually just means revenge. But I was just like, wow, she's brilliant. I, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we finally came up with a movie that made one of us burst out. Uh, it is, so, <clears throat> I don't know, we've got some differing opinions. Pregnancy joke? Ah! Uh, ooh, yeah. uh, so, yeah. so, this is, um... There's, this film has one of my all-time favorite scenes between two people ever, ever, ever. And it is the first time we see um, uh, Alice's character, Ruth, with her sort of her city nurse. I'm not exactly sure what happens in the UK, but uh, she seems to be have to check in with this nurse. It sort of sounds like a social services aspect to it where they have to go in and be checked up throughout their pregnancy. And this is um, the, the nurse... She is, or the midwife rather, played by Joe Hartley, who is very good in her role as well. Um, she's been in a lot of, of British TV shows, In My Skin, Sick of It, uh, Bliss in 2018. But let's just listen to this clip from this. This is the wet nurse talking to Ruth. This is not gonna hurt one little bit. I said that last time. Did they? It did hurt, and I had a massive bruise. It was like here to about there. Oh, poor you. Mm. That's not very good, is it? Probably not in the control of their apparatus like Nurse Jennifer. <laughs> Lovely. So, I managed to track down your records. You're not very easy to track down. I felt a little bit like Sherlock. <laughs> you was like the disappearing woman. Lady Lucan, I think we'll call you from now on. Yeah, can you just call me Ruth? Yes, of course. So, did you know that if you hear a really high-pitched sound later on in pregnancy, you can just start spurting milk from your boobs, like two rockets, it's like boom, boom, pow. <laughs> it's quite magical. Why are you telling me that? So, Again, anyone listening to this who didn't know, yes, it is British humor throughout. Like, there is no punchline that is extenuated by a laugh track. Like, it is so dry. And Alice Lowe's face is incredibly expressive in this movie. And she goes through all these different um, aspects of... Uh, I'm sure she has some makeup on, as we all do if we're on camera, except for right now, Patreon, am I right? Um, 
she goes from like looking makeup free and sort of haggard uh like i imagine it feels to be pregnant a lot of the time very pregnant and also pretty made up um and also in extremely creepy horror makeup at a halloween party so she really uses this opportunity of this film to show this pretty awesome range um and it's like this scene i found a lot of it really funny and it's sharply juxtaposed against really unnerving violence um because it, it actually opens with her having this creepy scene with a like exotic reptile seller uh who the, she then kills like there's weird innuendos in there like is you you want to see my big fat snake it looks slimy but it's actually very smooth and of course he's talking about like a little coral snake or something but um her kills get more and more assertive like she's unsure in the beginning but there's just they're they're brutal they're uncomfortable um and then you get the next scene where she's talking to her her baby in her head we assume it's in her head we don't really know and it's funny it could have also been the mice from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy they do sound I think like they get the same voice actors the i don't know <laughs> Yes, the tuned up, the tuned up voice. So this is definitely one where, as you said, Mandy, the title gives us a lot. And I think it keeps feeding us more as we go on. Let's, uh, Tad, what was your thought going into this movie? And then how was your overall experience? I thought the movie was going to be funnier. And I love, Brit no, honestly, I love British humor. I watched a lot of BBC uh, over the years. And... I think it's just, I think my problem is, is that a lot of the British humor that I watched was 70s and 80s British humor, ironically. Slapstick. Yeah, so a it lot of- Zero slapstick here. Yeah, a lot of British humor nowadays is much more cynical, which is very funny because a lot of, it's, it's, it's a weird dichotomy because the post-World War II America was very much, I mean, It's Alive kind of shows that. It's, it's very much the- everyone trying to put their their best face forward or trying to bury their feelings after like one of the most tragic periods in history. And then Britain did the exact opposite and was basically just like, let's be as silly as possible to get over the fact that we were bombed into oblivion. And, and then it's almost like America and Britain flipped. Like now Britain is extremely cynical, even in their humor and America is like wacky. <laughs> it's true it's we've gotten yeah it's sort of the rebirth of the 80s comedy is what we're experiencing and they're experiencing our uh, 80s grit and our 70s and 80s grit and uncomfortable bleakness uh, on like a whole new scale like a uh, like a Morrissey scale like a Joy Division scale right it's, um, it's like everyone forgot that uh, you know Japan dealt with it way better Japan just went let's take all the crazy shit about the 80s and let's just keep going with it they just they just kept, they just keep rolling with it and it's great everyone else keeps trying to reinvent it and it's like no this isn't gonna work so uh, I'm not a huge fan of slapstick but um, I am a fan of this really cynical <laughs> character because her character does and I'm sure people like Mandy who've gone through pregnancy themselves probably have an entirely different level of, of vibe and understanding with this or not um but my thing is that everyone oh my god how she took like zero shits from anybody zero she yeah. has no filter like unless it's just threw it back in people's faces like just like are and you really saying that to me everyone like, in the eye for minutes ew. on end mm -hmm. like um there's a scene which is the most uncomfortable death i think because here's the thing that i think some people probably have a hard time with this movie you don't 
So she's killing these people who were the ones that survived and cut her husband loose, right? Or her, not even her husband, her boyfriend, her baby mama loose. Now, and he died. She's killing them. So they don't even really know each other, right? Like it was a sign up trip kind of thing. They're not necessarily related other than they just happened to take this training course at a climbing gym and go on this little excursion. Um, and they don't seem to be the kind of people that really deserve to die necessarily. There's a couple, but um, the baby is the, like deep, like the voice of the baby is this brutal, mean uh, rage, right? Like it's, it's not out of control rage, but it's this like very controlled, contriving, um, manipulative, like uh, either you do this or you're weak. They're all terrible. We're the only ones we can rely on are, you know, just you and me, mom. And this is a piece of shit person. And she's convincing her mom of this, right? That's what plays out for most of the time. And the middle scene, it's mostly men, but the middle scene is this interesting thing where she's like, uh, the baby's like, it can be women too. Sometimes they're the worst. And she goes in for a late night job interview, which of course she's not going to get the job. Uh, but ba basically the woman, people keep giving, uh, Ruth reasons to kill them reasons that they're shitty people in ways that reminded me of dogma like should somebody get shot for not saying god bless you when you sneeze well yeah <laughs> no but is that person maybe a piece of shit probably like you know what I mean like you just you're kind of like well they're probably a piece of shit so I feel a little bit better and it's sort of like a lot of these people end up killing themselves in this movie because you have a character who already is on the edge of killing them and she's looking for an excuse and people keep giving her these little things like when she goes in for this job interview and she's like um it just we can't as a business we can't hire her. just like because of the baby and she's like no no I mean we can't no I, I certainly not but I mean you know and she's like no I don't know and it's like a four minute scene where instead of getting up and leaving as the as the interviewer keeps trying to prompt Elso's character just stares at her and asks her another question and she starts asking her questions about her personal life which just gets sadder and sadder <laughs> and then she walks over to give her a handshake of course she doesn't give her a handshake she hits her head on the table and slits her throat and then once she's dead, she spins around in the chair and talks about the chair for 30 seconds. Oh, I was dying. She's like, oh, maybe I'll get one of those. It's a nice chair. This, this, this is my chair. Where do I get one of those? Like, it's just, and then like she feels really powerful afterward, right? And then the baby sort of drags her back down. Like, I'm the mastermind. Don't get cocky. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, it's like this, this really interesting thing where, the, again, they juxtapose the violence um, and you're uncomfortable because like in Dogma, even though they're very different movies, the people that are getting killed, you're like, this is not a, this is not a death crime. <laughs> you know, this social faux pas is not a death crime, um, but it still keeps happening, right? Uh, and it gets even more interesting, I think, when we start to, you know, Ruth starts to sort of conflict with her baby, right? It's sort of like the Hulk scenario that we never got in the freaking Marvel, you know, recent Marvel movies that we wanted, right? Like, where's the Hulk and Bruce Banner in his head arguing? Like, Ruth is sort of like, I'm the parent, I'm supposed to be in control. And the baby's like, yeah, fucking right. You can't do anything on your own, you try it. Uh, and of course she can't, right? Um, Greg, what was your take on, what did you think going into this movie and then how were those expectations met, not met, changed? Um, well, based on the title, um, I thought it was gonna be like, just out of control, like just absolutely batshit insane, mm -hmm. um, very hokey, very silly. 
um, which like I, I got to disagree with you, Mandy. I, I I thought the title sucked only because it didn't. I think depict what the film was, which I thought it was a very smart movie. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was well directed, well shot, well acted. Like this movie was really, really good. Um, I'm I'm thinking about uh, kind of the context of it's it's a film by a woman kind of dismantling what pregnant women can do, yeah. and when she kills um, the second female of the movie and it's and she's able to kill her because i think she come um the victim comes in and punches her in the stomach and she kind of acts like oh god like you punched my baby whatever and the victim kind of comes up like oh, oh i'm so sorry and then that's when she just kind of comes up and just stabs her and she kind of does this like bit of like oh like i've heard that you're supposed to breathe really well and she does that like <laughs> that like like um the lamar <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like the Lama is like, <gasps> like, like the deep breathing and it's kind of mocking her as she, as she bleeds out and kind of like, like, oh, like you thought I couldn't take a punch because I was pregnant. Like, um, yeah, yeah don't punch women who are pregnant in their bellies, please, people. Yes, yes, please, <laughs> please don't actually go out and they, they, they should not be punched. I don't think that they'll take one. Right, you're you not probably get stabbed. You're not get away with it. It's a terrible thing. You'll yeah. probably get stabbed. And it will be justified. Mm-hmm. However, pregnant women do not take this movie as an example and go out and drink a whole bunch of fucking shots <laughs> and beer and wine while you're Oh, out. yeah. That scene made me so uncomfortable. I know, right? wine. When she yeah. was doing shots at the bar, washed. She doesn't. Mm. Do them. She doesn't drink them. What? She, well, she tosses one, she but tosses like there's, a, but there's a couple that it was hard to tell. Drink the first sure. one. Yeah, no, she drinks the first yeah. one. Then she tosses the second one in some dude's face. But I think mm. it's implied she didn't drink any, but it's not shown it's not clearly. Shown. It's hard to mm. tell, and yeah. and that's why she asked for red wine because certain doctors say that now you can have a glass of red wine when you're pregnant i wouldn't advise it i think it's a <laughs> stupid thing to do because none of us are doctors it. um it's ridiculous uh anyway uh, also wear a mask get vaccines <laughs> don't be an idiot okay so um wash right. your hands wash your hands yeah wash your hands touch your asshole wash your hands oh um i <laughs> But I definitely touch the asshole. So don't wash your hands. I was going to also add in, um, as soon as the baby started talking, I really thought I was going to bow out of this film. Like, just that kind of that, that sing-songy, high, like, kid's voice. I was like, oh, like this is going to be a train wreck. But you know what? The writing was so, so good, good that... I didn't care, and after a while, I and they were consistent I, I, with the voice, right? Yeah. So eventually, mm-hmm. got into it. Um, let's listen. This is a clip, so so listeners can hear what we're talking about with the voice. Um, this is she's killed. Um, she's connected with a man uh, who is the roommate of the person that she's meaning to kill, and then ends up killing uh, her target and the nice roommate because he witnessed it, and she's feeling bad about it in her hotel room. And this is, and I love how she's very pregnant at this point uh, in the, in the movie in general. And she spends a lot of time doing the pregnant lady waddle and laying down on beds in between these acts of, she's never, to me, outrageously active, but yeah, she does all the things that everyone has to do, you know, and then kill some people. Like, it's sort of a strength and yet, you know, yeah, pregnancy. It's not disability, it's ability, but it, it is different. Okay, off topic, here's this. 
uh, from Prevenge. This is her talking to her, her unborn child. It was completely unnecessary to kill that man. He was really nice. He was a sop. A hipster sop. <laughs> sacrifices I've had to make. What sacrifices? Children these days are really spoiled. Like, Mummy, I want a PlayStation. Mummy, I want you to kill that man. I don't want a new... I know you don't want a new daddy, but there was no possibility of that, so stop going on about it. I just... I love... You know, the... The only, like, truly unguarded, um, but also, like, um, back and forth conversation she has where she gives something of herself in a conversation is with her child, right? Because even with the, the midwife, she's prodding and needling and dragging information out of people with her, frankly, aggression and standoffish, you know, behavior. But when she's talking to the baby, it's the flip, right? The baby is needling her. And she tries mm -hmm. to get back, but she doesn't. Um, and uh, we can talk about, uh, well, let's jump to Jeff. You didn't like this movie, Jeff. What were your thoughts going in and, and then coming out? Um, well, first of all, I hate the title. Like, I really hate the title. First of all, prevenge indicates you apply your vengeance before you're, like, offended or whatever. Like uh, pre-crime. Like pre-crime. Mm -hmm. uh, naming this prevenge makes me angry based on what the movie is because it's false advertising. I'm just going to give this, um, this is this is coming from the man who in Dungeons and Dragons when we were nope. in high school. Oh, we're no. done. We're moving titled on. His, titled I, the wizard. Wait, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't get to attack Something me personally. You, you, you cannot attack me personally because you don't like my opinion, sir. That is, is a this poor kind of tactic. So let me carry on with my opinion. So I don't like the title. Uh, I'm surprised Greg said it was well shot. I thought it was very poorly shot, um, which makes sense if it was done in like a short time period. Um, there was there was a couple scenes where uh, it was it was hard to watch for me. Um, it was just was the the camera was just a little too shaky for the scene that it was in. Um, I I think that uh, even just a fixed camera could have been like really good. Uh, it definitely had like that British style of like weird like framing like close shots of people's faces, um, uncomfortably close. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like it's like not the entire face. It's like you get like three quarters of the face in the frame or something. Like, like this um, space. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and I and I think that you know they like to have a free cam so they can do this. I don't know why. Most um, to be fair, most of the cam was on a tripod, but there were some shaky cams. It's Alive has a lot more shaky cam. Uh, oh, for sure. Because they're doing the baby. Plus, whenever they show something about the baby, they have a handheld. Uh, but there are some, especially in the DJ Dan scenes, which I know we want to talk about. But yeah, keep going. Well, well, the, actually, I think the worst part was just like the like the first five or ten minutes of the film. Um, it was well written. Um, I just thought it just was. I don't know. Like, I, there was like a couple of really funny parts, and then it got oh, a little. It was it was a little repetitive for me because like. There's about like 50 minutes of the movie where it was just like, all right, there's going to be another scene where she murders another person. Uh, it's, like, it's a series of vignettes. Yeah, it is. That's, that is maybe a fair assessment rather than like a, like a, like a film. Um, I think that there, there could have been, I don't know, they could have like broken up. It was basically like one-on-one uh, -on -one with a person that she's about to murder. And then like just this little teeny like scene where she's like in a hotel room or something. 
It wasn't even really a scene. And then just the next one where she, so it, it became too predictable. You just, like it was you just, just shit on Kill Bill 1 and 2. That's literally, so <laughs> I'm not disagreeing. Kill Bill 1 and 2 are so films, Nate. Co- is, Kill so- Bill, if we want to talk about a different film, we get, there, there's other uh, like things that Kill Bill has. Uh, All right, value. so I'm going to start taking some notes. Spielberg. Kill Bill one and two. I love Kill Bill, but not I, not for yeah. Kill Bill one and two. What what I'll say what I'll say is um is that it's interesting you say that because it really is the revenge template, right? So a revenge movie always has the crime, and then the person getting revenge on each individual person. Kill Bill follows it very intentionally. Tarantino looks at these movies. Um, uh, every single movie in the 70s with death in the title like death promise uh follows that um there's the crime uh the every again with the 70s but every um sexual assault rape revenge film does this um i'll I'll spit on your grave um don't do that to my sister the gary Busey movie we did a while back i the tiger kind of follows that but it's more of an action trope because they're big action set pieces instead of the one-on-ones um, so I do think that that's interesting you bring it up because it is very much uh, in that Bruce Lee-ish revenge film template, right? We have, we're set up in the beginning that something awful happened. Fairly, fairly quickly in, about 15 minutes in, we understand, we don't know the details of how he died, but we understand that she's targeting these people for something in particular. And it's clearly not, you know, well, like, I don't like them. It's they're somehow tied, and it's then we learn it's revenge. So it is interesting that that happens. Um, the only the I, I did like the personally the camera work and everything. I thought it was I thought it was fine. Especially liked how they Alice Lowe chose certain things to return to, but not necessarily when I expected them. Like um, in the opening scene, there's a lot of really hyper close up, you know, um, micro uh, or macro. I forget which is which, but. Uh, <laughs> micro level um, photo- or videography on like the large centipedes people keep for pets, the lizards, um, really crisp photography. And that comes back um, a few times. We haven't mentioned yet uh, the running theme of the Furies. Uh, early in the movie, uh, we, we see um, Ruth's character uh, after she sort of had a, had a rough time of it killing someone and discussing uh, with her baby what's going on she watches this old uh, 30s film crime without passion from 1934 uh, which has this awesome visual setup uh, it, it's a it's claude rains was in that movie uh, who more famous for playing the original invisible man and uh we see the furies in that movie which are women you know the the they're sort of a a neo united states new world interpretation of uh, the, the Furies were Greek, correct? And then Roman afterward. Yes. Um, so they're sort of a force of nature. And that phrase comes up, right? When uh, the midwife is talking about the baby, your baby is a force of nature. This is going to change your life. And it's interesting because the midwife occasionally changes from saying the baby's in control. You have no control over yourself. And then also changes to saying, you have to make the right decisions. It's your call to do what's right for the baby. And when she does that, we see a direct flip between how Alice approaches the next situation. But the baby always wins. Um, and I and this is, again, a bigger spoiler, but we find out at the end that uh, 
and we don't really know the details, but uh, she has her baby and she can't hear her baby anymore. And she has this like moment where she's talking to midwife. She's like, I was wrong. It was all me. It was always all me. Um, and then the final scene is she visits the bluff where her boyfriend died and she sees what we think is or looks like him and she goes and it's actually the instructor that she let live who presumably called the ambulance when her water broke um and you think you may have this reconciliation moment but she then starts to make the pose of the furies from that movie and then it pauses and we get the soundtrack and, it, and the credits come up which is sort of a personally i liked that ending because it was sort of the merging of the two people right like the voice of the infant that's telling her to kill for revenge it's fury it's rage it's inside her uh then she has become part of her now that the baby is gone there's no separation anymore and and that was an interesting moment that i wonder if people found it unpleasant because <laughs> i think it kind of is unpleasant well, I thought it made a lot of sense because you have that earlier scene where she's talking with the baby or she's like listening to music or something mm -hmm. and she's walking down the street and she starts doing this like fury pose, like, mm -hmm. like kind of hands up in the air, mouth open, like she's screaming and the inner voice of the baby is like, oh, don't do that in public like like yeah. be a little more subtle or whatever yeah and then she's like oh okay and then you know to have the movie end where she's like oh the baby wasn't talking to me that was my own inner voice i want to be the fury and so she goes to the cliff and i like to imagine that the next scene is her running and jumping and tackling this guy off the cliff and both of them mm -hmm. falling into the rocks like that's how i pictured it too i, I, yeah. I actually pictured him her just pushing him and like screaming at the top of the bluff i think that she's got a pretty strong survival instinct uh but it's interesting because and by the way if anybody hasn't seen uh that 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 claude rains movie um crime without passion is an interesting film and the visuals are unbelievable in that movie. And the clips that they show of the Furies, uh, it's great, but they're, it's so funny. I mean, I, that's one of the first really funny lines that she gives, right? She's watching it, and the Furies have, like, this ridiculous um, pseudo-Egyptian eyebrow on their forehead. Like, Divine had nothing on this, right? And she's like, I've had mascara days like that. Very smudgy. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just... It's just her, again, no filter, zero shits. Like, she's killing people throughout this movie. And yes, she's conflicted, but she's moving forward. And it just reminded me of, like, of like what I watched my mom do for so much of my life, right? Like, just she just had to do it. She's had to do that thing that she wasn't happy about it. Like, I, as, a, as, a, as a man, uh, I don't think I have in our society that many moments where I'm like, I don't want to do this thing, but I'm going to do this even though I am at utter misery, like, because look at, as a man, if I work a job, I don't like, I am, I am miserable. I am a pill. I cannot handle it. I can't handle, I can't handle when I cut my finger. I can't handle any of these things. Yet her character is acting like the stereotypical super mom. Um, no smile, but she's doing all of the things that she's setting out to do. And she's doing the things that her kid, as far as we can tell, are telling her to do. And it's just, it's sort of a brilliant parallel. And as, as you said earlier, Greg, we get these great moments where she physically says things to other characters that are what people say to pregnant women all the time. Um, and it's, it, I really felt this sort of anger and irritation and pushback 
that I assume Alice Lowe felt when she couldn't get roles because she was pregnant. Because uh, on one hand, well, it's like, well, I mean, she's pregnant. Is the script call for a pregnant person? On the other hand, people are pregnant all the time. You telling me that her friend couldn't have been pregnant and it didn't have to be a thing? Like, of course it didn't have to be a thing. It's like whether or not they cast an African-American actress or, uh, you know, someone from Japan or whatever. It doesn't matter. They could still do the part, right? And I think that gets to the point that this is, uh, and Greg, you sort of mentioned this, this is pushback on a lot of social boundaries that we have right now, right? Like every single scene with one of these people, the dialogue is like, a, her dialogue is pointing at a different part of hypocrisies we have. Um, like, oh, I love DJ Dan scenes. He's oh my God, DJ Dan. He's, he's, a, he's a comedian. Um, he's, he's been in, you, I think he's one of the more recognizable people uh, in this movie. And he is a character, one of the, the I think the second one that she targets, um, he's played by Tom Davis. And he's at like a dingy pub or bar or whatever. And he's playing 70s music with like a bad Afro. And she's dressed up kind of ridiculously. And she, she basically hits on him, gets him to drink, and then they go home, right? And he's just disgusting. He's like the, the worst. You know, you're like, should he be in prison? I mean, he hasn't shown anything that should be in prison. But you know, I don't know. I know this guy, right? Like, I've seen this guy. I know this guy. I probably even know his name, and I don't want to. Um, he's obnoxious. He like when they when he gets him to do shots, he orders four so we can give him to the two women next to him because they're the prettiest girls in the bar. Even though he's talking to her and he knows that she's trying to hook up with him, and he, he doesn't got, want to put all of his eggs in one basket. In one basket. That's what yeah. he says. And so he gets they they go in the oh god when he vomits into his wig on the cab ride. Oh my home, gosh! And then kisses oh. her. Oh, yes. Horrifying. Horrifying. But so then they get to his place right and he actually has this point, right? Like she starts asking these serious questions and is clearly very confrontational. Um, and he's like, you're a weird lady. Like, what do you, what do you, what is this about? And you kind of do get it. Cause he's an idiot and he's a douchebag and he's a jerk, but she is being confrontational. And it's kind of like, uh, he's like, Hey, you know what you signed up for? Look at me, listen to me. You've been with me for several hours. We know where this is going. Right. He thinks. And then, we had a social construct, like a contract right. when we she were in the bar. Him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she asked him, do, do you, you know, do you think people need like love, sex, food? He's like, yeah, food. We starve. She's like, what about love? Does anybody love you? And he's like, yeah, my mom loves me. And his dementia. She's like, are you sure? Yeah. And his dementia addled mom like shows up. She walks out of the back room. And he's like, mom, get in there. And she's like, I have to do the laundry. It's like, you don't have to do the laundry. Like, I, you're doing the laundry all the time, so I never even have any clothes. Get in there. Like, don't come out again. And she, Alice Lowe then kills him, right, by cutting off, I assume, one of his testicles um, uh, or half his penis. It's hard to tell, but it's, it's gruesome. He drops the remnant on the floor, and then he bleeds out on the floor. At which point, his mom comes out again and says, you're going to need some bleach. And Alice Lowe's character walks her carefully back, gives her her real name, when she gave him a, a lie, uh, gives, gives her her real name, puts her to bed, asks if she wants any hot cocoa. She's like, oh, you're lovely. Like, she's like, I have, I have to do laundry. She's like, I'll do it. And then she actually does it. Yeah, she, when she, she did the laundry. She does the laundry mm -hmm. before she leaves. And it's like, and you get this great line from the mom who clearly doesn't know 100% what's going on at all. She's calling her different names. Obviously, her son's dead on the floor. But she's like, he's like, you're too good for her. She's like, I know. 
Like it's just it was this it was a magic moment. The fact that she does the lawn puts the laundry in before leaving, you're just like this. Yeah, I'm but the sorry. whole time she was also carrying the knife that I she know. killed him with. Like literally, if I had been pregnant, I would have gone into labor. I was laughing so hard. It through was, the whole like I, I, DJ Dan scenes. I could not I could not handle it. And then and it was it struck me at that moment that this is one of those scenes, and I'm not even sure I've been able to process 100 percent why no man would ever have written this scene. None. I cannot because I don't think it's in our social experience to think of that perspective. Right? Like the fact I'd like to think that I could have written this scene, but I couldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, because it's like Ruth's character sympathizes on a whole different level with this mom's character. That she's doing something as a symbol for no one because the mom will not remember or not understand most likely. Or they'll show up and be like, what happened? And she's like, Cynthia did the laundry. Like it's, it's you know what I mean? It's so irrelevant. We need more bleach. But she's <laughs> making a point, right? Like she's making a point to no one. And um and and it's it's at that moment when I re when I started it started to click and I think subconsciously it's when it starts to click for a lot of viewers when you realize that oh this is about so much more than just her revenge for her dead boyfriend because we find out from the instructor who she sees at the end in the final scene that her and her boyfriend had a rocky relationship at the time and he was thinking about breaking up with her and he didn't even know she was pregnant because that's the day, the day he died is when she found out. So she, know, and she breaks down crying and she goes into labor at that point, we assume uh, when he tells her that, but it's, it all of a sudden a whole new thing opens up. She's angry at everyone. And it really is like me and my baby alone against the world. And it changes that perspective and it makes that fury transformation and the desire to become that strong person or creature force of nature so much more potent. Um, and I thought it was the most vulnerable thing in the movie is, is, is this aspect that she keeps, like she, she finds people that sort of have uh, some comparison to, like she doesn't want to kill the instructor because she's like, no, I'm going to be putting his girlfriend or wife in the same thing because she's pregnant. I love that twist. That was yeah. such a nice little bit. Um, and I was actually curious to the rest of you um, if I took it as – the boyfriend was actually the one who made the decision to cut the rope. Yeah. I that's how that's I took that scene. Because because the instructor doesn't really want to tell her, right, that that's the case. Because he, he never says, because she, she wants him, she's like, who cut the rope? And he won't say it, but he say, I talk, but he, he insinuates, I think by, it's this really sweet scene, right? He's actually kind of a sweet character. He's almost too perfect for it, which is why I think it's problematic uh, for her to leave him alive at the end, maybe. Well, and he has the pregnant girlfriend. Right. He has a pregnant girlfriend. He's very handsome also, just happens to be. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, he, and he's like, and even though he's being threatened by a woman who's been stalking him and he's aware of it, with a he's knife. He's waving a knife at him. Waving a knife. He still won't say, you know, uh, I forget his name, Jimmy or, or Larry, whatever, cut, cut the rope himself. But that is the implication, I think, and that's what I got anyway, from him, his hemming and hawing and not wanting to tell her that. Um, mm -hmm. Because, and, and that's sort of a, a weird, that's again where we get a character in there that, um, like the character, I think, I think the name was Josh, that, that she killed, who was just a witness, who she really liked. Um, mm -hmm. 
he doesn't deserve the situation, but it's sort of out of her hands at this point. You know, like she's already gone to this new force of nature thing and it's just beyond, it's beyond the threshold now. Um, Can we yeah. um, just, just step back one second? And we were talking about the scene where they're like, she's demanding to know who cut the rope. Did anyone else like at that point in time just like really see how she was trying to parallel like the idea of an umbilical cord and cutting? I didn't. Of I, I never really thought of that aspect of the storyline of that her like the father of her child like fell because he was disconnected it's very interesting and it was like a red rope that yeah. was cut yeah and he like yeah and i was just like wow like i felt like the way that that was shot like that it clicked for me when it hadn't before like the way that and we actually see like the rope i mean it's a very i'm sure you're right because it is a very strong image we see that red rope severed over and over again mm -hmm. and um it kind of and it's, the head. It's, it's referred <laughs> to and I don't know, just as a note, like the her her boyfriend's death, we never see him fall. Um, but we do get this uncomfortable shot, first of it just of the blood and, and essentially brain just sitting on the rock and dripping down, and then eventually splatter, and then eventually we get this shot of him with very, in my opinion, very good practical special effects. Yeah, that's a pretty good shot. With his skull caved in as he's dying, uh, with the brain, and it's it's a very visceral moment. Um, Which I I Mandy, with that point you made, I'm wondering if that shot of of him kind of dying on the rock was supposed to kind of represent like birth, like kind of this messy, grotesque thing, which, you know, I have no personal experience that I've heard that a baby coming out, like it's not, it's not, oh, here's your little miracle of life and it springs and there's a little halo around it and the clouds come mm. in. And so I think that's of, what, a, yeah, I think that's like a lot of people expect that. Um, and a lot of people expect like this immediate, and Tad can step in as the other parent here, this immediate rush of love. But I think that it, it actually takes some time and it is like pretty, um, like, I mean, it's obviously visceral. visceral. <laughs> this is very visceral. Um, it's messy. Um, like, I don't know what um, Tad's partner's birth experiences was, but I actually had to have a C-section because of um, so, so like similar to not exactly the same as in this movie but like in modern medicine like they only let you go so far before they say like this is in the best interest of everybody and it's Make very it. it's very abrupt it, like it almost I don't say it feels like an accident but it almost feels like things are being like ripped from you um, the way that her birth experience is portrayed in the movie I can imagine that being a thing especially for people who are uh, having that happen for the first time because um, in both experiences they've both been c-sections and they've both been medically necessary the first one was the little bastard wouldn't turn around and actually like put his head down the second time was um, you know lack of dilation and it was you know at some point you've got to make a decision and honestly the second time around it's let's just have a baby now because we're tired of waiting around because it's been over 24 hours. And then you have that moment. And I, at the risk of uh, exposing what having a, a, you know, witnessing a C-section is like, basically mm -hmm. it's that scene from Alien. That's exactly what my dad said. <laughs> not I was born from the C-section. He's like, it was just <laughs> Alien. His head comes out and it's just like, Mah. Yeah. <laughs> blood and there's a, there's the viscera everywhere. And, but at the same time, you know, it's, 
it's a magical moment. Mm -hmm. I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we also see like she gives birth via C-section um, mm -hmm. and we get, um, yeah, we see, I, I assume a real baby. Uh, uh, it, baby, it, but... it is her baby. Okay. She gave birth during filming, and that's her. Okay, like... I was wondering that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, there is a little suspension of disbelief because when she's doing the scene, like where she's just given birth and she walks out of the hospital and has like her moments, um, she's still pregnant at that point. That was obviously filmed before the actual birth. Um, but I mean, her, her transition between like when she's in, when she's, you know, when the fury is in control and she's so sure of herself and her moments by herself where she's really just sad, right? Like she's sort of just, she misses that power. It just adds all the more to the belief or the believability of the end when, why would she give that up? Um, why would she give up the only thing that she really feels is a release for her? Um, and I think that that's an interesting bit. Uh, we're coming to the end here, um, but I wanted to, again, give a shout out to everyone in this film. I think that they did a phenomenal job. Um, just to throw my coins in the slot, I, I love the title, Prevenge. I will say with Greg, I understand what you're saying in that it could be, like it very much also puts in, like I think it's very accurate for this film, but it also puts someone in the mind of like a nude nuns with big guns. You know what I mean? Like it's a title that you think is going to advertise one thing, but it's a very different thing. Um, when we interviewed Donald Farmer a while back, he said titles are very important because you want them to know exactly what they're getting into. And that's why his titles are things like hooker with a hacksaw or chainsaw hookers. He's like, look, you know, you're going to get this when you see You're going to get hookers. <laughs> you're going to get hookers. Although I will say hooker with a hacksaw kind of didn't have a hooker. It's a toss up. Go watch it. Um, so, I will say though, to, to Alice Lowe's credit, I mean, this, this movie poster of her with one hand cradling her pregnant belly and the other hand knife behind her and just prevenge, like absolute marketing brilliance. It doesn't pitch yes. the movie correctly, but it, it but gets butts it. in seats. Yeah. Does, yeah. And, and I'll say this, um, aggregate scores for this movie are in, are one of those cases where in my opinion, because usually they're subjective, I don't mind. I think it's very unfair. It doesn't have a bad score, but for example, IMDb's aggregate uh, is like 5.9 out of 10. Um, you read the reviews and it just shows the amount of uh, the strong current of, uh, frankly, anti-woman that is in our country right now. I mean, I think the, the most like the, the number one review on there right now, or at least at the time when I read it in preparation for this was something like, it's unrealistic that a pregnant woman could do all these things. I don't understand. Until, yes, some women are put on bed rest. What do people <laughs> think pregnant women do? Like, do they not have to, would a single pregnant mom not have to go to the grocery store? Like none of this is any, she doesn't do any backflips, right? Like I thought this was very believable. And by the way, she's actually pregnant while she's doing this movie. So anything you see her doing on screen, she would physically be capable of that. It's not exactly difficult to slit someone's throat while pregnant. Exactly. It was very realistically filmed. And it just, it just drove, it drives home that, you know, uh, that, that fact that we are not yet at the utopia state that we hope to one day be as a society. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, if you, if you're ever curious, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably consume various levels of film critique or product critique, be aware of these biases because they start to crop up and they really can uh, change the course of a film's uh, destiny. For example, as a mainstream example, Birds of Prey, The Emancipation of Harley Quinn, great film, right up there with Deadpool for R-rated comic book uh, action romps. It, it got, it's ripped apart on a lot of the aggregate scores, even though critically it's been acclaimed. Why does that happen? You look at the details, you start to find this uh, anti-woman sentiment that's running through this anger and aggression that's coming out. And this film is sort of, it's both victim of it and knowingly victim of it and is in its content, a rebuttal to that, which makes it a sort of, not just a satire, but sort of a meta fiction satire. Uh, and I, I, I'd love to talk to Al- Alice Lowe, Finny the Pod, call in. Let's let's get this going. We're Amazing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I want to have her baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it's already been had. I think it's already been right. had. Uh, okay. So, uh, Mandy, who would you recommend Prevenge Film to as, and why? I don't know. Do you really like dry British humor? Um, like really dark humor like you're gonna love this like probably from about 15 minutes in like before that like you're not gonna get why you're watching this but like after that you're gonna love it and then when you get to the scene with her trying to struggle through a dog door you're probably gonna almost die from laughter like from asphyxiation from laughing so hard because it's and like then you know it's just so good (laughs) so uh dry British humor I guess also if you have been pregnant, um, you'll probably really appreciate this. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know, it's just really good, as we've just all said. Mm, uh, well, uh, Except for Jeff, one. but his, Jeff, let's his opinion Jeff. doesn't count let's, on this let's, one. Let's no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yes, it does. Jeff. You know, I, Jeff. I, I'm straight up not going to apologize for not liking this film. It's nothing Gross to do with not. sexism. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for liking Desperado. Like, I like the things that I like. Um, and I didn't find this movie funny. I, I mean, I, I thought the DJ dancing was pretty hysterical. Um, but I didn't really get enough uh, funny to drive me through. And I just don't like revenge pictures, as we've gone over in other, uh, like the podcast episode, uh, other podcast episodes. What is the what is the name of that movie? The I have the tiger. I have the tiger. It's a freaking song title. Can I, I, I think of that? Tiger. Yeah, I, it just it, it's just a genre genre that just bores me. I just don't care. I'm not engaged. Um, there are occasions where I am. Like it has to be like a really good version of it to like uh, to pull me in. Like Kill Bill, it's got to be like really stylistic or something. Uh, something that pulls me in. Uh, in this case, uh, the humor didn't do it. Um, and you know, maybe it's cause I'm, I'm never going to be pregnant and I'm never going to, mm-hmm. I'm never going to have the perspective that requires me to, you know, burst out in laughter and almost be myself. Well, um, it's true. That, I mean, and I'll just say that those of you who aren't members of the Patreon, so you aren't watching the video of this podcast, um, I know the sultry voice is confusing, but Jeffrey Tucker does identify as a male and he is do, a, a yeah. biological male, so he, yes. he won't have a baby anytime soon. I will um, not. Well, not I, legally. Not. He'll steal one. <laughs> theft. Um, baby theft. It's the same thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give mine. Um, I think that people who, as 
Mandy said, people who like dark humor uh, and British humor in particular are gonna like this. I really think there's a really strong parallel to um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's work with uh, Killing Eve and Fleabag, both the show and the stage show. If you like that kind of material, it's, it's got a very strong wit, but it also has some real uncomfortable moments uh, and a distinctly British and female perspective then you cannot miss with Prevenge. I think that it really is sort of a masterwork in efficiency while making a film. And I don't think it looks cheap. Um, I do think Mandy, what Mandy said is correct at the opening scene, you're gonna be a little discombobulated. And I think that gets to what Jeff was saying about it too earlier on with the camera work. I just think that the film doesn't waste time uh, setting you up for what you're gonna see. It just tosses you in and luckily uh, I found it strong enough that I bobbed to the surface and was glad that I didn't waste time with exposition. Oh, I didn't actually make a comment. I, I think actually a lot of people will like this movie. Uh, I think for, I, the script is brilliant. I think it actually is really well written. I think I would have really liked it as a book, personally. Um, I just think that the execution and the, the humor didn't hit for me in, the, uh, in this film. Um, but I also I like Fleabag a lot. Like, I think that's, that's lovely. I'm just uh, apologizing. Yeah, yeah. So, but go watch it if you. Spoilers. Yes. Yeah. One more spoiler since we have so had so many. Nate mentioned very early on about um, the midwife um, warning her about high pitched noises making her milk oh. flow, yeah. and then like I nearly died when she hears the police sirens for the first time during one of these murders. Like, cause like her victims like I called the police and like. Um, and then all of a sudden she's just like, shit. And like, she's just like flowing with she's milk. In like, she's in like a sweatsuit walking down the street with a bloody nose and <laughs> lactating breasts. And it is, yeah. it is pure brilliance. And that she like hears the sirens. She looks down, like she's still in this woman's apartment. Like she just killed her. She looks down, like she's soaked in milk and she just goes, shit. <laughs> I, just, I nearly died. It was just like, I mean, but that's probably something only someone who's been pregnant and had a moment like that could like really feel was funny. Or had to witness it. Or had to witness it. Because it just happens and you're just like, shit, like this. I assume, that, I assume that that's like a natural response to the sound of a baby crying, I assume. Maybe. Like yes, it is. Yeah. I'm not, I ain't a doctor. If uh, it smells mm -hmm. like a baby, it's going to trigger it. Mm-hmm. And it happened, yeah. That could be a problem. A cat could probably trigger it. Honestly, if a cat sounds mm -hmm. like a giant, if it's a giant whiny Siamese, guarantee it's going to trigger it. They do sound mm -hmm. like babies crying. All right, Greg, who would you recommend Prevenge to and why? Um, well, I immediately looked up Alice Lowe because I was like, this is really funny. And like we've said, she wrote, directed, starred in it. Um, if you like The Mighty Boosh, if you like Simon huh. Pegg movies, if you like um, Black Mirror, she was in all three at one point or another. Um, I think if you liked any of those, or especially if you liked all of those, give this a shot. It's got a very similar sense of humor. Um, it looks very similar. It's, I mean, very, very British. Um, and, and I'll say too, keep an eye out for her. She's got a, um, a, a film, another of her works where she's kind of doing everything called Time Stalker. It's, it probably, it's, it's in production, it's in pre-production rather. So it's a ways off, don't have an ETA on that. But um, personally, you know, I enjoyed her writing enough that it's, I'm going to see it when it comes out and I wish her the best on that. Uh, 
Last up, Tad, who would you recommend Prevenge to and why? Best for last. This is a movie, honestly, I, if you want a revenge flick, I think there are better revenge flicks. Um, anything Tarantino, honestly, Tarantino is the, is the king of revenge outside of Rodriguez. And frankly, you can just put them kind of in the same space. But um, this movie, the, I, this cover made me think of like, I spit on your grave. This is not a like girl power, like revenge on the man kind of movie. This is, this is much more psychological. Um, sure, if you, if you uh, like bad episodes of Doctor Who, I'd recommend this movie. And there's plenty of bad episodes to worry about. Um, You're going to have to dive into that. I do not get that recommendation. You're going to have to clarify. Uh, so um, there's a reason why I stopped watching Doctor Who like at the fourth season. Are you because, talking about the new Doctor Who, the current series? Yeah, yeah. The, the current run, like, the, the, like at some point, it just, I watched a lot of BBC stuff. And this actually, actually, I'll give this movie credit. This movie did not have the same five actors that everyone in the BBC, do, they do every show. Like you, you just watch BBC and it's like, oh, it's that guy from that show and that other show and also that other show. I so, said there were two uh, Game of Thrones alumni in here. There were. Fuck's sake, of course there is. <laughs> um, That's unavoidable though. There's only a cast really, of 360 yeah, million. Yeah. I, I, um, by the way, um, as a, 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 I guess I'll have to reiterate it again. As a martial artist, that scene... This, this is the scene that pissed me off the most about this movie is the fact that she's going after this woman with a knife in her own home. And this woman comes back with boxing gloves and gets a good shot in the face on her. And the first thing you should do when you're in a home invasion is to hit them repeatedly in the fucking head until they go down. And the fact, the fact of the matter is that she's standing there and like, she gets a couple good shots. And then it's like, this woman is literally trying to kill you. She's got a knife. She's going to kill you. And she is like, uh, like, wow, you are. Well, we didn't. This talk is the about second that. advocate for punching pregnant women. I don't know if this is the uh, the podcast. I Listen, if a pregnant woman is trying to stab you to death, you punch the well, shit out of if, her. I'm if, sorry. I mean, I guess, I guess the members of Motley Crew are listening because they're the only ones that know. <laughs> God. So we're gonna go. Uh, so I'm just gonna say this. That scene, I did think it was interesting. What you're saying, it's a very funny scene. There's a lot of talking, um, but I. I took it as that character who is punching. There's, she's sort of, Alice Lowe's character is sort of mocking her for just being someone who does a lot of training and sports things, but really doesn't have any has no practical clue. knowledge yeah, or no, ability. No, no nothing. And it totally makes sense, right? Because yeah, if you're going to hit someone, why would you put the gloves on? That's to not hurt them while you're hitting them. So you Dude, actually wouldn't hit do with that a unless glove? they're heavily weighted. And you're not going to get heavily weighted practice gloves like that. I mean, one two pound it's not it's not what you would do so i think that that was an interesting touch i i get what but they it were was super for. funny when she comes around Hilarious. the corner and the girls got boxing gloves on i mean come I, get, on. I get it it's and just infuriating at the I same do time love also just to throw this last bit in there because we got to wrap it up when uh she's stabbed and she dies and the dog her little mop dog comes to her and her his tail goes down but then in the next scene like two seconds later the dog is already licking at her blood totally happy i don't know what they used cairo syrup whatever but that dog was in heaven and i'm like yep that's just realistic you can mourn and have a great meal it is i mean that is that's essentially every modern faith uh so we're gonna wrap this up thank you guys so much for listening to this baby blues episode of cult and classic podcast playing us out as always is the chud with all about evil 
I highly, highly, highly recommend you support these pictures and all films that sound interesting to you on Cult and Classic Podcast. We love films and we want them to stay alive, especially in these troubling times. Please become a patron for as little as a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month at Patreon patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast if you've never heard of that before it is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash cult and classic dot com and we love you very much hey everyone thanks for listening to cult and classic podcast this podcast is important to me but what's more important are the rights privileges and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world and that means supporting black lives matter if you'd like to make a donation please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.